Welcome back, everybody. I wanted to give a bit of an uh, an update before we get into the Eric Moody interview on this podcast today. Today, there was news that Alvin Kamara had an epidural shot, right? That came out of uh, Tom Pelissero's tweet today at 4.16 p.m. At Tom Pelissero said, just said on NFL Total Access, Saints running back Alvin Kamara intends to show up tomorrow and practice after missing several days following an epidural shot in his back last Thursday. The sides weren't that far apart on an extension before things went sideways. Here's what I said in response. I quote tweeted it and I said, This is not nothing. An epidural shot during the preseason is freaking me out. Not to mention they're a temporary fix. So here's the deal about injections in general and the difference between the types of injections, right? Because there are a lot of people who have correctly pointed out, oh, you know, injections aren't a big deal. Athletes get them all the time. I mean, there's a 2017 Bleacher Report article about, I mean, it's literally titled the NFL's drug of choice, and it's about the drug called Ketorolac. Um, You might otherwise know it as Toradol, which is called uh, an inset, right? So it's a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. The way that it works is that it blocks all of the chemicals, essentially, not all of them, a few specific chemicals that cause pain and inflammation, and it lasts about six hours. When you hear of a player who got an injection on the sideline, for example, before a game, at halftime, after a game, this is probably the drug that you're hearing about. Toradol. It helps reduce inflammation, reduce pain. Okay? It's not to say that's not a big deal. It's not to say that it's, it doesn't have its own side effects, because it does. But it's a lot different. It's a step down when it comes to a steroid, which is what an epidural is, which is what Alvin Kamara had. Alvin Kamara had a steroid injection. Now, a steroid injection would be considered a step-up therapy. So for any range of reasons, um, because the, the maybe the inset didn't work, the injury's bad enough, whatever you, whatever happened to that patient or whatever the case may be, when you go from an inset, Toradol, to an epidural, steroid, you are essentially taking things to the next level. You're escalating them and saying this is hopefully going to be a lot more effective in treating the patient's pain and disability. Okay? So that's the first thing I wanted to say because I understand, yes, injections are common, but they're not all the same. Uh, they're, they come with... Toradol and steroids, they come with their own set of side effects, potential adverse effects. And from an orthopedic perspective, so that's what I wanted to clarify when it comes to the different types of injections. This was a step-up therapy, so it's safe to assume that that the Saints and Alvin Kamara either didn't find therapies below a steroid injection, an epidural, to be as effective. Um, Honestly, that's really the option. They basically didn't think any other type of injection would be necessary. So those are the different types. So when you hear people say players get injections all the time, it's not the same thing. They are different. There are different types of injections. So moving on to what actually could be going on. I talked about this in the Fantasy Points Discord channel for the premium subscribers. That's the worst case scenario that Alvin Kamara has this back issue. He has this radiculopathy, basically what's called irritation of the nerves, damage of the nerves. The nerves lead down to the legs, to the hips. They control motor function. They control his ability to move, his sensation, everything. This could be a chronic issue. 
that he's been dealing with for a while. He finally threw his arms up and said, I need an injection. This could be a second injection. We have no idea. That's worst case scenario. And it carries him into the season. He carries us into the season. It affects him. He's got poor motor function. It's hard for him to move. That's going to be really, really difficult for Alvin Kamara. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I hope that's not the case. But that's definitely worst case scenario. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is that this was all made up. Let's be honest. Reports come out. Teams say things. Players say things. It's all, you have to remember Alvin Kamara's in a contract here. I don't know if this is the case. I don't know if that's actually what's going on. Um, to me, I was thinking about it and having this conversation with some people that I know. Uh, to me, I look at this and I say, oh, the Saints said that he's on the trading block. Alvin Kamara put down the reverse Uno card. He said, oh, good luck getting any teams to sign me because I just told them all that I had an injection. Is there something wrong with me? I'm going to make them all stay away from me. Now they're at a stalemate in contract talks. I'm not saying that it didn't happen, that he didn't have the injection, and I'm not saying that he didn't need it. But there is some speculation out there that this could be, I mean, maybe this shot was two months ago. We just don't know. Um, I'm not going to go as far as to say that the injection didn't happen at all. But it is just something to to think about, that this could be a completely non-issue. And then there's also the medical fact that he could have this injection. It could get him over the over the hill, could give him over, you know, through the wall of this pain that he couldn't get over for a while. And it could, we could never hear about it again. As I always say, this is a matter of range of outcomes. I just went walked through two or three type of possible outcomes that Alvin Kamara could have because of this injection that he had. So now the range of outcomes are, are farther, they're wider. I would only drop him a few spots in my, in my uh, running back physical volatility tiers, but he will fall. He's still in the yellow light tier, but he'll still fall. If you go to fantasypoints.com, you can check that out. I just wanted to clear up one, the type of injection he had in his back is not the same as what most athletes get on the sideline or at halftime. Two, it's a step up therapy. So that means that they couldn't get rid of a problem or the problem was big enough that, you know, the insets, the toradol wasn't enough. Three, this could be a chronic issue that follows them into the season. Four, this could be a complete non-issue, and he could be totally fine by this time um, in the next two weeks. We don't know, but I wanted to, to walk you through that step-by-step. Best-case scenario, worst-case scenario, what it all means. If you have questions, hit me up on Twitter, at FBInjuryDoc. But for now, we're going to get into the episode, which is an episode recorded a couple weeks ago with uh, Eric Moody. He's a great guy, super smart guy, super fun. He's going to go through a couple of things that you should know if you're trying to grow in this industry if you're trying to cultivate an audience, if you're trying to write better, really, really smart guy, you're going to want to give this a listen. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Edwin Porras, Doctor of Physical Therapy, Medical Analyst at FantasyPoints.com. Today, we had an extremely special guest, a guy that I connected with, I think back in March or April, if I'm not mistaken. He is an extremely nice guy. He is an extremely smart guy. And I just lost all of the sheet that I was reading off of, but I know for a fact that he's over at 4 for 4. He's a staff writer at The Athletic. He's a co-host of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. 
Uh, let's see. He is staff writer at Fantasy Data NFL. He's all over the place. I mean, he's, he's a smart dude. He's his he's based in Texas. I can hear his twang. I know I know a Texas twang when I hear it. He is at Eric N Moody on Twitter. He's just Moody for short. How are you doing tonight, man? You know, I was doing great until you asked. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm doing pretty well. You know, given uh, the circumstances everyone has been dealing with, you know, COVID-19, you know, things are really good. Uh, family's healthy. You know, we've been able to spend a ton of time together, which has been exciting and great. Uh, but I've also been able to produce a, a lot of really, really fun fantasy football content uh, this offseason. Now we're edging even closer to the regular season, so I'm very fired up. Uh, but how, how have you been, my friend? Man, I have been, I mean, you know how it is. Everything has been up in the air. My residency got postponed and then I thought it was going to get canceled for a while and now it's back on. So um, yeah, things have been crazy, I think for everybody, but I think there is something to be said about um, how everybody's going through something at this point, right? That was, that's always sort of been the saying, you know, everybody's going through something. Um, at the very least, there's some comfort knowing that everybody's going through something similar, right now with everything going on and so if we not just be you know assholes to each other and be nice to each other and cut each other some slack and keep the keep things rolling it looks like we're gonna have an nfl season so that's gonna help i think a lot of people's mood especially on twitter um i think that we're gonna be in a good place so i've, I've rattled off all the places you're at um and feel free to interrupt at any point if, uh, if you if you have something you want to say but i did want to know a little bit about your come up man because you are in so many places you are at so many sites, um, your content's all over the place. I mean, you're growing, you got 8,000 followers on Twitter. I think, um, you're all over the place, man. So I kind of just want to hear your story a little bit, if you don't mind telling it. No, no, I'm, I'm very happy to, to do that. You're going to, you're going to make me feel all nostalgic by uh, answering this question. But, uh, I know many, you know, many people know, you know, I played, uh, you know, college football, uh, at a uh, nickel state, you know, one double a, you know, level. So it wasn't one a, you know, like the Alabama's or the Auburn's of the world, but Hey, it was still football. But I think the irony is that I never played fantasy football or never heard of it really until uh, around like 2010 or 2011. Had a really good friend at work uh, who invited me to his fantasy football league. And I was excited, you know, because it was another way for me to have a deeper connection to the game rather than just simply watching NFL games at that point. You know, since I've been at that point, like around like seven years or so since I uh, played. As you can imagine, like I, I was hooked immediately and I'm very competitive too once I, I found out how fantasy football worked. Now, the thing is, like I listened to any podcast I could find. You know, I read like every single fantasy football article I could find, like in order to improve. But I also found that it was very useful to like identify like players, like other particip or participants, excuse me, in my league, like could be targeting. And I still do quite a bit of reading uh, today, even with uh, creating, you know, a lot of content. So I really found myself like having like in-depth discussions of people, you know, just casually, you know, about fantasy football, you know, so I made a decision, you know, I decided to uh, rebrand, you know, my personal Twitter, you know, for fantasy football. And so some of the tweets actually caught the attention of the website, uh, the now defunct uh, fantasy football locker room. And, you know, they asked me, you know, if I ever, ever considered, you know, doing some writing. And, uh, you know, they provided me with my first uh, opportunity. So that was back in around uh, 2015. So I created like a ton of content, you know, for the website, you know, which in turn uh, led to writing opportunities uh, with Gridiron Experts, Fantasy Pros, and Rotoviz. I will tell you, uh, Edwin, you know, my time at Rotoviz was extremely useful. 
and I and I and I do feel like it accelerated my progression uh, as a writer. So uh, you know, fantasy douche, you know, aka Frank Dupont, you know, was I guess the best way to describe it. I'm like he was really a, a forward thinking analytics mastermind. I think that's a really good way to describe him. And uh, he was a, a real informal mentor for me. You know, I really needed that at that time with being a young writer. And so as we were talking, you know, before we recorded, uh, you know, I've, I've worked in the financial services industry, you know, since like 2006. So what I found is that my time at Rotoviz, you know, really connected the dots for me in my mind on how to apply like my processes in that world to fantasy football as a content creator. Someone else that was really critical early on was uh, Sean Siegel. Uh, you know, he was a, a key player uh, for me and how I uh, developed uh, as a writer. You know, always took his feedback with an open mind, you know, learned from it and quickly incorporated it into my process. You know, as they say at the Viz, you know, seeing is truly believing. And this is really what I was looking to convey to readers uh, in my articles. Uh, here were some of the principles, you know, that I learned that, that I still use today, you know, as a content creator. Uh, you know, you kind of think about a lot of things for fantasy purposes, you know, something that may kind of seem like a bad idea, you know, is actually a good idea, you know, kind of keep things simple, as they say, you know, that, uh, you know, KISS acronym, uh, you know, really have everything structured out in your, in your article, you know, come up with that thesis and uh, find, you know, statistical ways, you know, to support it. And uh, really just to communicate with charts, you know, graphs and other tools, you know, the reality is like time is such a valuable commodity on the Internet. And you can communicate a lot quicker to uh, readers with visuals, but also to overcome objections too. And, and Edwin, I think you and I have probably, you know, kind of read threads on Twitter for where, you know, someone kind of puts something out there and it's like, okay, well, you said player XYZ is this or that. I'm like, Let, let's back it up. And so one thing I like to think about when writing is to, you know, think about what objections may come up. Because the reality is, I'm like, you're essentially trying to sell someone on your point of view. And you really want to convince them to like abandon like their way of thinking and to see things through your eyes. And as a result, I'm like, you know, readers have objections. And as an analyst, you know, I want to treat those objections fairly and find a way to uh, overcome them and really just provide substantial evidence to fit, you know, that thesis. So just to bring all that together, uh, you know, that experience at Rotoviz, you know, also opened doors to contribute content for Dynasty League football and uh, fantasy data. Now, my work at uh, Rotoviz and fantasy data, you know, caught the eye of uh, Nando DeFino at The Athletic, you know, asked me to join the fantasy football staff last summer and obviously still contributing there now and, and co-hosting the podcast. But that's that's essentially everything up to this point. I'm just feel really blessed, you know, to have a voice in the industry and to be candid. You know, I'm really excited to see what the future holds. It's always important to communicate like of charts, uh, graphs and like other tools. Uh, it, the reality is that time is such a valuable commodity, like on the Internet, and you can communicate a lot quicker with visuals. Uh, overcoming objections is also something that's important too as a writer, because here's the reality. You know, my goal is to convince you to abandon your way of thinking and for you to see things truly through my eyes. And as a result, you know, when readers are going through articles, you know, they're going to have like objections. And so I do have to treat those objections fairly, but also provide you evidence on on how those can be like overcome, I guess is the best way to put it. You just want to always have substantial evidence to fit your thesis. 
So just to bring all that together, uh, that experience uh, opened up the door to contribute to you know other places uh, like Dynasty League football and fantasy data. Um, I worked at Fantasy Data and Rotoviz, uh, caught the eye of Nando Defino uh, at the Athletic, uh, who asked me to join you know their fantasy football staff last summer, and obviously still contributing there today and uh, co-hosting their podcasts. Uh, so in a nutshell, I think that's everything up to this point. I'm just really blessed to have a voice uh, in the industry and uh, truly excited to see what the future holds. Absolutely, man. I mean, you're obviously killing it right now. You're putting out content everywhere. You're on podcast. You're with The Athletic, which is huge. Um, I think that's just, it, it goes to show how, I, I think the cliche of like, if you work really hard, I think it's overstated sometimes. But in reality, I mean, this is that's really what you've been doing since you started is working your ass off, right? No, no, you're, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, I, <laughs> I thought you were going to say no. I thought you were going to say no. I'm actually pretty lazy. I don't like to do much I, of anything. I, I, I just, I, I laugh and like chuckle to myself because it's, it's, it's like, you know, you, you think about the nights for where, you know, like you, you know, you're, you're tired and you're coming in and you know, we all have like families, you know, responsibilities, but then it's, it's like, you know, you have the monster energy drink or the uh, cup of coffee and, you know, it's time yep. to grind it out. You know, you, you say, hey, I'm going to go off for four hours of sleep tomorrow because I've got to get it done. So, you know, you just kind of think about those things and kind of how it all kind of plays off of each other, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's it's crazy to think about in, in hindsight, right? Like how you do something in the moment and then you realize like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that. I think that's a sign, in my opinion, um, that you that you love what you do, you're passionate about what you do and that it's not really you know, it's not really unplugging, um, per se from your, like your career and your family. It's more like giving you energy, something, a hobby that you enjoy, um, and something you're trying to grow. So and you're the, you're the perfect example of that, man. So what advice would you give for those who are trying to do the same thing right now and trying to break into the fantasy football industry, considering it's so saturated, right? If we can assume that the baseline is work your ass off, right? Let's say that the baseline is work your ass off. What other advice do you have for people who are trying to uh, stand out? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a great question. And uh, you kind of hit the head of the nail uh, where you like, you know, work your ass off. But I'm like, there's some other things that you can do to complement, you know, that mindset and what you're doing. I think number one is uh, be active on social media. I'm like, this is going to allow you to interact with others in the industry, uh, to begin, uh, to, I guess, to begin to build your brand. And you can also begin to build like a following. I'll say another point, you know, don't decline any opportunities to create content, whether it's audio, visual, or written. Uh, if it's quality, you know, the people will find you. And that's one thing that I would, would do differently uh, if I could go back in time is for where just to do more things that were uh, audio and, uh, and video. I would say something else is to you know, be mentally prepared uh, to grind. Like I mentioned a moment ago, you're not going to get a ton of sleep. You know, I think like on average, like last season, I know Nando and I were had like an email thread and uh, I would I would walk them through the playlist that I would uh, have on like in my headphones while I was generating content. But I think during the season, I may have gotten like three or four hours of sleep a night and then kind of going to work, you know, the next day, you know, kind of doing the quote unquote uh, day job. But you have to find, you know, time to write and be committed to it. I'd say the last thing is uh, proactively seek feedback on what you do. And then what you can do differently and really incorporate that feedback quickly. I'm like, if you can do that, uh, that's going to allow you to make a name for yourself sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Don't say no to anything, man. I was burning the, what is, what's the saying burning at both ends or burning the, yeah, burn the, the candle, candle at both ends. 
Yeah. So it's funny today. It's, it's ironic we're having this conversation. This is my Twitter, my one year Twitter anniversary. And I also, um, and I hate to put it in this, into this context, Twitter following is not, you know, a, a direct cor- correlation or, or it's not like a, a big deal. Um, it is some, it does sort of indicate a little bit like how active you are and, and how interesting potentially your content is, but tw- you know, follower accounts is not everything, but it's funny that a year ago I was sitting at literally 20 followers. And I think today I crossed to 5,020 and it goes to show that because I didn't say no to anything, I, that exact piece of advice you just gave out. I mean, I was burning at both ends and my wife was like, are you getting paid for this? And I would have to sheepishly look at her and be like, not yet. I was like writing for three different sites, going on podcasts and it's just, and do something for free, right? Like if we're going to have a conversation of, um, what can people do to get to, you know, to, to start building a following, it's, you're going to work for free, right? Nobody's going to hand you anything. Nobody's going to, you're not entitled to getting paid for, for doing this stuff, especially if it's a side gig for you, Mm -hmm. you're not entitled to getting paid. So Eric's basically saying, uh, do people call you Eric or Moody? Yeah, people people call me both. Uh, quick, quick, quick story. If I'll be really brief, is that uh, you know I played basketball growing up, and so everyone's always called me uh, you know by my last name. And so I know my first like nickname was like Magic Moody because I was a big fan of Magic Johnson. It was kind of the tail end of his sweet, career. Though. So I just been getting called Moody for uh, you know Moody for years. So yeah, Eric Moody. I'll answer to anything. Cool. I, I, that's a, the point I was just trying to make is that your your point about saying no to, to nothing saying, saying yes to everything goes along with doing it for free because that's what that's, you know, that's the groundwork you're building the groundwork for, for building a following. So moving on then a little bit to your general fantasy football philosophy, what would you say is your general philosophy if you had one? Yeah. And it can be either when you're writing or just playing the game. Yeah. I think this applies like to, to both because I, I think it's important to play the piano with both hands, as I say. Now, you can make great music, or I would say good music, not great. You know, I'll get to great in a minute, but you can make good music by playing the instrument with one hand, but you can truly create great music when playing with both hands. Now, the irony is that you have some people who only lean on you know, game film. I'm going to grind the tape, watch the tape, et cetera. And you have others that are like, I'm all about statistics and advanced metrics. The question that I have is like, why not play the piano with both hands? And that's the approach, you know, that I take when it comes to analyzing players and anything fantasy. And so I do use a scouting approach to form an opinion, you know, of a player's athleticism, you know, et cetera, and how he handles the mental side of the game. But the reality is that that's just my perception. It could be someone else that, that's watching that same film and see something a little bit different. So the point is, is that it's uh, subjective. What I like about advanced metrics is that it provides like additional insight into what a player can do. Now, it's eerily similar to someone deciding to invest in a company stock. Like the parallels are, are just very similar to fantasy. I'm like, you got fundamental analysis out there. It's, you know, it's generally used to identify stocks to buy. While you look at technical analysis that's used to identify when it is the best time to buy or sell stocks. So just with that analogy and kind of breaking that down, that's really going to give you an idea of my philosophy and and how I look at things. Very pragmatic of you. It sounds like you're very pragmatic and that's a word that I had to Google (laughs) when I first heard it. But so for those of you who also are going to, we're going to end up Googling this anyway, pragmatic, here's the definition. Dealing with things sensibly and realistically in a way that is based on practical rather than theoretical considerations. A pragmatic approach to politics is an example relating to philosophical or political pragmatism. So 
it's it's a cold, it's a it's a calculated and and applicable practical solution to to the game for writing and to the game for playing. Does that sound does that sound about right? Yeah, no, that that's good. That's good. Okay, I, I just I didn't I didn't know if that was a good way if you'd ever been called pragmatic before. But that's have, that's what I thought of when remember, you were explaining I it. I can't remember the last time that that I was, but hey, I I, I could buy into it. I, I could I could go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about for 2020, man? Uh, what's your philosophy going into 2020, considering it's just absolutely nuts? Yeah, it it, it is nuts. But as uh, Sun Z said, you know, there's always opportunity in uh, in chaos. So th- this is a great season. Uh, you know, with the number of you know viable running backs, like in the high leverage rounds, you know, those first like five rounds. And uh, it's a lot of depth at wide receivers. So I believe the way to go is to use uh, positional tiers. You know, just let your draft decisions be dictated, you know, by the supply and demand at each position. So what I like about tiering is that you're going to be able to easily identify any statistical drop offs like at each position and then show the number of high caliber players available at each tier. It also allows you to determine value in the draft by getting talented players from different positions before all the talent at that level is gone. So it's my belief that that is the way to go, uh, just given kind of the supply and demand of all the different positions out there. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to look at it. Being able to pinpoint and identify, hey, I probably should load up with this group of players before they dry up during the draft. Um, even though I have, you know, three running backs and I have two wide receivers, maybe this is going to be the last opportunity I have for the rest of the draft to get a running back and understanding that. Um, or maybe you don't, maybe you think that you need to take a certain position, but you look at them from a tiers perspective and you say, okay, I can probably wait. You know, this tier probably isn't going to dry up by the next time that, I, that it comes around. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good way to way to look at it, man. What, what do you think about as a, being a commissioner? Like, do you think that that we should have some sort of a different, maybe expanded benches, IR slots, um, longer longer drafts? Like, what do you think about that for for let's say dynasty and redraft? Yeah, especially in this environment right now, uh, I'm always a fan of having uh, like additional uh, IR spots. Uh, you just you can never tell if you get hit like with the with the injury bug. I know in one of my dynasty leagues, it may have been like three or four years ago. You know, I felt like I was. I had so many injuries, I guess the best way to put it is that I just had to, to keep an injured player uh, just on the bench. And I believe that league had like three or four IR spots. It was it was a pretty substantial amount. Oh, so wow. it was just, I was just, Jeez, dude. I was just getting like <laughs> brutalized like each week. I'm like, oh, another one bites the dust, you know, so, you know, it, it happens. But I think the uh, the IR spots, additional IR spots would be good. But also I'm a huge fan of uh, deeper benches, especially in Dynasty. Oh, yeah. Deeper benches are nice. Oh yeah. Do you think that, uh, I mean, so the, the argument could be made that my, my thought process is this, if you make these IR spots COVID specific, then you're, you're really closing yourself off to, to nuance and, and randomness and just general chaos. I feel like you're opening yourself up to chaos because for, for, for me, when I look at that and I look at an IR spot and I say, Hey, is this, you know, maybe is, is this, do we have IR spots that are just ACL related? Or maybe we say, are there IR spots that are just meniscus related to me? That doesn't make sense because there are times where we don't know, right? Bill Belichick will put on the injury report knee, 
right? And we're like, okay, well, that's a knee. So do you sit on that same side of the fence when it comes to having IR spots in terms of, of being COVID specific or not COVID specific? I just think to your point, Edwin, is that you need to have like just a, a general IR spot because there, there's a little bit of, of gamesmanship that, that goes on like in the NFL, especially with the injury reports. It's like, I'm going to take whatever edge that I can get. But the reality is like in this, in this environment that we're in, um, like information travels quickly. So they're in their minds, they, they may feel like they have an edge, but the reality is they don't. But to your point, I'm like, with, without having those IR spots completely open for anything, I'm like, you're setting yourself up for failure and also a headache too. Oh my gosh, a headache. Commissioners this year. I've, I have a home league that I'm in. And I don't know about you if you're a commissioner of any home league, but I, I didn't even want to like, <laughs> I like sent the group text out and I like, <laughs> oh man, I don't even, I don't think I want to deal with this this year. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can see that. How, how many leagues are you in? Well, see, one thing that I did that was uh, different, and I did this last year, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to keep it up. Is that I really reduced like the number of leagues you know that I was in. You know, it's just a handful of uh, industry leagues that uh, that I'll participate in. But unfortunately, like my leagues, like locally, you know, with uh, you know a lot of my buddies, uh, those have, have unfortunately like disbanded. And so I'm only like in a handful of uh, leagues like each year. I don't mind doing like a lot of best ball just because you don't have to set like lineups and everything. But as far as just kind of traditional, you know, you got to pound the waiver wire type leagues. I'm only liking three of those right now. I think the worst part is the having like several uh-huh. leagues, but you know, having one on ESPN and then one on MFL and then one on sleeper. It's like, yeah. Oh God, that's the worst Sitting part there with your phone and your apps. I just, I just like having the yeah. flexibility because I know if I've got like a deadline to meet, uh, I just like having that flexibility to know, hey, if I need to grind this out to meet that deadline, then, um, you know, I don't have to worry about like kind of my own leagues. Because for me, I'm like, it kind of takes a takes a back seat, you know, as an analyst, writer, you know, content creator. I just, oh, yeah. just want to oh, help, yeah. help those that are looking to me for advice. That's kind of the mindset that I've always had. So. That's a good point. That's a good way to look at that. I really like that. I have to start considering that myself. Do you think that there is any one mistake in general that fantasy football players tend to make when it comes to just straight up playing the game? Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, take it a, a step forward. I've got four for you. So I've got four. Let's so do it. I would say the I first thing is like allowing recency bias to get the best of you. What's funny is that nobody drives their car looking through the rear view mirror, a high percentage of the time when they're going from one place to the next. So why do many people do it? Like in fantasy blows my mind. Uh, I would say the second thing is just really being too rigid with your draft strategy. You have to be able to flex just depending on what decisions others in your league make. Cause again, there's always opportunity and chaos. You got to be willing to bend and flex. So I'll say something else is don't live or die by average draft position or ADP. You have to be willing to take calculated risk on players that you love. I'm like, you, you've got to. You just can't wait. Say, oh, I can't take that that guy. I really want that guy. But, you know, his ADP is the fifth round. You know, I'm in the fourth. Can't do it. You're going to miss out on an opportunity. (laughs) So you don't want to do that. So I'll say the last one would be overvaluing the quarterback position, especially in single quarterback leagues. And this even applies like to Superflex, too. I'm like, they are always quarterbacks available late in drafts that can finish as a uh, QB1 or have multiple QB1 weeks. So you just got to wait on the position. Absolutely. So who, who do you think, um, now I'm going to, I'm going to turn this around on you. Who is somebody in 2020 that you believe, um, that people are suffering a case of, of, of recency bias from? Ooh, that's, that's a good one. 
you let me think here for a moment. And if you can't think of that, I'll let your wheels turn. No. I'll also ask yeah. you. No, oh, go no, ahead. Go I, ahead. I think go I've, ahead, go uh, ahead. I've got a few for you. Like any position or just, you know, I can just kind of. Sure. I, mean, I can run them down. So, okay. I would say like, if you're looking at players for where, you know, recency bias is like creeping in, uh, I'm thinking quarterback. So one that comes to mind is a guy like, uh, like Phillip Rivers. And he's in a great situation with the Colts, uh, great offensive line, great weapons offensively. Plus, he has that connection with uh, Coach Frank Reich, too. Uh, I would say someone else, uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, you know, again, another another uh, player, quarterback that has weapons at all different positions. You know, wide receiver, of course, like with Juju and then, you know, tight end. He's got Ebron that's there. You know, they were kind of like bros, apparently, this offseason. Then you've got, um, you know, James Conner that's there. And then I would say running backs, uh, I think a lot of folks are fading like Melvin Gordon, but he's really in a great situation uh, with the Broncos. And, uh, you know, with their offensive scheme, I know the offensive line coach there is Mike Munchak, you know, one of the best in the game. He's in a really good position to bounce back. I know I mentioned James Conner, you know, David Johnson. Uh, I'm sure there's people out there that still get goosebumps when they think of his uh, 2016 season. He's just really in a great situation and doesn't have uh, any competition really for touches. But I think something else that's really impossible to quantify is that you've got coach Bill O'Brien that wants everybody to know that I made the right decision with getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins. He is going to feed DJ as many as many touches as he can physically handle just to prove okay hold on hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna stop you okay i'm gonna interrupt you because i want you to start from the top because i am a never david david johnson drafter right now so i want you and i'm gonna tell you why i'll give you my reasons why then i want you to comprehensively lay this out for me okay so here are my reasons right first reason he is 29 years old and we know based off of the research that other smarter people, Adam Harstad specifically, um, has done that even though running backs in fantasy can perform later into their careers than we initially believed, be, you know, 28, 29, 30 years old, we that's the higher end of running backs. Um, it's 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 the higher end and the much lower percentage. It's much less likely you're going to get a, a, a Mark Ingram like you did last year. Um, and they're going to be continue to be successful. And the to, to take that a step further, you tend to see with these running backs, they're chugging along, chugging along, chugging along, and then whoosh, they fall off the cliff, never to be seen again. They bounce around the league, and then they're gone. It, it's just just boom, like a snap of the fingers, and they're gone. I'm wondering if we saw that with David Johnson. And the sec- the the last thing that I'd say, when you say he has no competition for touches. I know obviously Duke Johnson has not been given the ball. Um, there's an entire subsect, you know, subsection of Twitter that believes that he's a, th- a three down back. Um, that's a different discussion for a different day, but he is talented, right? And he's got a similar skill set to David Johnson. Um, those are the reasons why uh, I just athletically, um, situationally, I don't think it's, I think I, I sat on the opposite side of the fence of you when, when we talk about whether it's uh, he'll get touches or not. And then just based on the historical data of running back. So now I open the floor. I just rambled for three minutes when you're the guest. I'm going to open the floor to you. I'm just going to shut the F up and let you talk. I'm like, you, you did bring up, you know, some valid points. One thing like with uh, like a David Johnson. So everyone knows about 2016. I'm like, he finishes the RB1. Goosebumps. Averaged a cool 23.4 fantasy points per game. Now, the reality is like Johnson, I'm like, has been a disappointment since then. 
I'm like, he averaged, you know, 12 fantasy points per game and only 30 active games. I'm like, 2019 was a disaster. I'm like, he lost his job to Chase Edmonds, only to later watch mid-year acquisition Kenyon Drake go bonkers. So I'm like, now he finds himself with the Texans, of course. He's older, like you mentioned, to, to your point, you know, running backs at the age for where, you know, they, they break out and they decline RB1 seasons, et cetera. You know, I'm aware of a lot of the, a lot of the data, but I think one thing that that's tough to quantify is that even with his, his age, I'm like considering the time off that he's had with the number of active games that he's had since that 2016 season, you can almost discount that with his age by like a, a year or two, but I'm like, he's with the Texans now. One thing with the Cardinals that was interesting is that I'm like he averaged like 19.5 opportunities and 17.7 like fantasy points per game, um, like from week one through six. Like if you're looking like in half point PPR, uh, before injuries kind of derailed his season. But one thing with the Texans' backfield, I'm like they ranked 12th in rushing attempts and ninth in rushing yards per game last season. Uh, you know Johnson may not be as explosive as he once was, especially back in 2016, but. I think he's going to see enough volume to outperform his ADP. But I would say something else to kind of tie it back to Duke Johnson is that I'm like, the fact that they even made the decision to bring in David Johnson and then they had Carlos Hyde the year before, I'm like, they've had ample opportunities to make Duke Johnson, quote unquote, the guy. And they just don't, they just don't believe that he is that guy, you know, actions kind of speak louder than words in that scenario. So when you kind of tie all those points together, uh, I think DJ is going to get the volume uh, to really outperform his ADP, maybe even finish like as, a, as an RB2. I don't think he's going to be on the RB1 radar. But I think he's going to get enough touches and enough fantasy production to outperform his ADP right now. And he's a heck of a value. Damn it, Moody. Why you got to be so goddamn reasonable? <laughs> <laughs> those are all good points they're all valid points um anyway it's to make me sound smarter and better um so the end of, by the end of the season eric moody he says david johnson will be the rb1 in all formats um draft him in front of christian mccaffrey that's what his snippet is right that's what they should be all right moving on so no i'm kidding those are all good points you made that's totally reasonable and i i can't even i can't even really disagree with everything that you just said that was funny. I, I was chuckling on, so, on the end. I had to put myself on mute for a moment. No, <laughs> <laughs> no you're good. You're good. You're good. No, I'm, no, I'm no, joking no, with no. you. I'm messing with you. <laughs> okay. So you, you just laid out, you just stuck it to me with David Johnson. Who's another player at quarterback, wide receiver, and tight end that you just love this year? You can give quick explanations or, or, or longer explanations. It just depends on, on whatever you want. Again, uh, ooh, let's see. Um, I guess, I guess we'll start off with wide receiver and we'll kind of we'll kind of bounce around a little bit. Uh, love Terry McLaurin. Uh, you know, the guy finishes a wide receiver two or better, you know, 43% of his games last season, like in PPR. I'm like, in spite of Washington's offense, and now he'll be catching passes from uh, Dwayne Haskins, uh, who's his buddy from Ohio State. And I'm like, that duo combined for a, a passer rating of nearly a 154, according to our pro football focus. Uh, I know I posted something about this on Twitter, but you know, I hate Calvin Ridley. Uh, his ADP is a problem for me. I'm like, it has steadily risen like all off season. I'm like the Falcons do have a high number of vacated targets, but Ridley is unlikely to inherit them all. Julio Jones is a boss has been since he's come into the league. I'm like, this is a guy who's averaged 10 targets per game, his entire career. You've got taught. Yeah, no, he is. I'm like, he's got. You know, they've got Todd Gurley that's coming into who has a history of being used heavily as a receiver out of the backfield. I think another factor to consider is that 
you know, defensive coordinators may focus even more on Ridley now with Muhammad Sanu and Austin Hooper gone. And, and that's something to factor in. And also it would help for Ridley if he had a little bit more versatility. He just hasn't run a ton of uh, routes like in the slot. And so that could be a way to kind of uh, move him around the formation. But he's just a guy that at his ADP right now, I feel like is going to uh, underperform. You move on to running back. I'm like, I love me some David Montgomery. I'm like, this guy average, you know, 17. Okay, we're on the same side here. 17.3 opportunities last season per game. Is expected to see similar volume in 2020. Now, I know what you may be thinking out there. Like I mentioned earlier, you got to handle the objections. You're thinking, oh, he was very inefficient. I understand that. You know, slightly negative total fantasy points over expectation. I'm like, he was inefficient behind the Bears' offensive line. And the reality is, he's not the kind of back that can transcend offensive line play. I know that's very, like, attractive. And, you know, when you kind of see videos and things on Twitter, but not every running back is Saquon Barkley. Christian McCaffrey or those other guys. They brought in Juan uh, Castillo uh, as their offensive line coach. 20-plus years of experience, a high percentage of that coaching offensive line. They brought him in to fix the offensive line. So, again, Montgomery's a guy that's in a position to outperform his ADP. So I'll give you someone that I hate. And I know hate is such a strong word, but I'll, I'll tell you, it's Aaron Jones. I'm like, you look at his fantasy finish last year. It was mm-hmm. propelled by such a high TD rate that is not sustainable. Now Jones is locked into a three-person committee with Jamal Williams and rookie A.J. Dillon, who's apparently you know blown up Twitter with his uh, calves and quads or whatever was going on there. Now, <laughs> dude, Twitter, we're so weird, and that, that's so. I'm sorry, I just had to. We're so weird when that stuff comes up. Like, this is weird. I'm just anyway. like, I'm like, why? Why is A.J. Dillon trending? I'm like, did he like truck over somebody in practice? We're like, to talk about? No, we're talking about his, his calves. I'm like, come on. But anyway, what? Well, a lot of people are talking about his ass, okay. too. Or I guess he's like Captain America then from Avengers Endgame then. Is it America's? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me get back to get back to Aaron Jones. So you, you've got the Packers. Uh, they drafted uh, A.J. Dillon so high that it tells me indirectly that, hey, we are not, we're not signing Aaron Jones to a long-term contract. And you don't really have a history of, of doing that anyway, if you look back. Um, head coach Matt LaFleur with comments, I believe, like in January. And he had been very vocal leading up to the draft about his desire to add more workhorses to the team's backfield. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, so we hit on running back, uh, wide receiver. Well, I guess we'll wrap up. You know, we got tight end and then quarterback. Uh, I'll say quarterback. Let's go there first, and I'll pivot back to, to tight end. So if you look at quarterbacks, I love Derek Carr. I'm like, he continues to fly underneath the radar in fantasy drafts at his current ADP. The guy is essentially free. Like he averaged a little bit over 18 fantasy points per game last season. He finished as a QB2 or better in 81% of his game. Now, the biggest opportunity for Carr is in the area of downfield passing. I'm like he ranked 25th in pass attempts greater than 20 yards last season with 47 attempts and only completed 36.2% of them. Again, what what a lot of people are forgetting is that they were supposed to enter last season with Antonio Brown as their number one receiver. So the Raiders have corrected that. You know, they selected Henry Ruggs in the first round. He should be able to immediately help in that area. But you have to think about the weapons that Carr is surrounded with. 
And he's got Henry Ruggs that's there. Word on the street is that they want to start him off in the slot, which is phenomenal. Everyone remembers kind of what uh, Juju Smith-Schuster was able to accomplish out of the slot. But you look at Carr, he's got Ruggs. He's got Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. He's got Josh Jacobs, Jalen Richard, and another draft pick in Lynn Bowden. All backs are, are very capable of catching balls and very lethal in the open field. I'm like, you look at a guy like Carr. I'm like, he has a legitimate chance to finish as a top 10 fantasy quarterback in 2020. So you want to know about a quarterback that I hate? I, you know, I really hate to say it, but it's uh, Deshaun Watson. I'm like, the departure of Hopkins, the departure of Hopkins is definitely a... You're in Texas, I, I, I man. I'm in Texas, but I'm, I'm originally from Alabama, <laughs> Roll Tide, and I, and I lived in New Orleans. I'm, I'm a Saints guy, so... It's not. Oh it's not man, me with Hopkins. It's like I, or I mean, a Watson. I love the guy, um, but I'm like, you got to think about with losing Hopkins, what that means. I'm like, since being drafted in 2017, like Watson's average, you know, 200, nearly 256 passing yards per game in 38 active games. Hopkins, on the other hand, has averaged 89.5 yards per game in 46 games since 2017. I'm like, you take him out, that's going to hurt. It's impossible to replace like a generational talent like Hopkins, but the but the Texans, you know, they're going to give it the old college try with Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, and Randall Cobb. I'm like, I, I love Watson, and he may, and this will be a test. I'm like, if he can overcome this, then he is, you know, the guy. But it's just going to be be hard, you know, for me to to draft him at his ADP where there's so many other uh, great quarterback options late, uh, you know, that I can target. So I know I may have blown your mind with uh, Watson, especially with me being in, te- in Texas. You kind of did. You kind of did. But then you're talking about it and it's like, I'm thinking to myself, uh, you have Brandon Cooks, who I hate saying this, man. I really do. Um, but it's just, it's really tough seeing him finish yeah. a season at this point. Uh, it's tough seeing him finish a, a career, if we're being yeah. honest. And I hate to see that. I, I really, I, I really promise. I, I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that's not right. But the concussions are just too, too much for me to see him finishing. Um, you look at Will Fuller's track record. He's one of the rare players that I would legitimately just say, like, I'm not sure if he'll ever be able to stay healthy. So it's like you're saying that leaves you with Randall Cobb, right? Who isn't a bad athlete. He's not a bad player necessarily, but he's at this point, he's been on three different teams. Um, he's 29 years old. He's not necessarily, you know, we, he sort of is what he is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and then you have, Who's down? I think Kenny Stills, right? Kenny Stills is yeah, still in Houston. He's still I think. in there for now. Um, yeah. He's good, but at this point, he's also sort of, he just is what he is. So, I mean, I, I can see that he's going to have to, I think Watson is going to, if anything, maybe this is, and I think you've convinced me of this. Um, and now the only hope I really have, or maybe the only reasonable uh, conclusion you can draw is that Watson's just going to be down a lot of games and he's going to have to be, be playing hero ball. Yeah. No, I could, uh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that happening. But, but you do bring, I mean, those are all good points. All good points yeah. about Watson. Did you, and uh, then yeah, tight ends, yeah, right? I would say uh, tight ends, uh, you know, one tight end that, that I love is uh, TJ Hawkinson. Uh, it, it's really rare, you know, for rookie tight ends to become fantasy difference makers. Uh, so he obviously fits the mold there. Uh, you know, he's, he's much more than just a, a pass catching tight end. Um, like he was one of the best, you know, uh, you know, best blocking tight ends in last year's draft. 
you look at a lot of the different, you know, kind of combine type metrics uh, in, in, in all that sort of thing to measure athleticism. I'm like, he's eerily similar to Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski. I just think with Stafford uh, back under center in 2020 in Detroit, you know, Matthew Stafford, you look at a guy like Hawkinson. I'm like, he's a candidate to finish as a tight end one. I'm like, he's got the first round draft pedigree. Uh, I believe this is a year where he, he really uh, takes off. I would say uh, one tight end that I do hate is uh, Darren Waller, and it's primarily just because of his ADP. I'm like, the circumstances uh, last season were, were perfect uh, for a guy like Waller to thrive. I'm like, as I mentioned about Antonio Brown, they didn't have Antonio Brown that was there. Tyrell Williams really isn't cut from the number one wide receiver cloth, in my opinion. Uh, you've got Henry Ruggs that's there now and um, uh, Brian Edwards. Uh, you know, those two rookies will, will definitely cut into his uh, target share. So, you know, Waller's a guy that you know, I'm just fading, uh, mainly because of his ADP. Now, if it dips below where he's going, I would consider it. But he's just not a guy I'm aggressively targeting in drafts right now. Which is fair because, you know, you can't really sustain – what Darren Waller did last year anyway. So I, and, and yeah, I think a lot of that, a lot of what you said really makes sense, man. Is there uh, anybody else no, you want to no, add? That's, that's it. Those are kind of the guys, uh, you know, guys that I had. So those are perfect. So the last thing I want to ask you, Moody, before we get out of here is on the, on the injury prone fantasy football podcast, we hand out band-aids of advice. It can be fantasy football related, not fantasy football related. Just a piece of advice that you'd give to the listeners um, that'll help make their day, maybe improve their week, anything anything that might help them in any certain way. A band-aid yeah, of advice. I've got some advice. So luck comes from hard work. Luck happens when hard work, timing, and talent intersect. That's what I've got for you. Ooh, I like that a lot. And that's consistent with your message in the beginning too. You're perfect, man. You're like... You like wrap this up nicely. I didn't even have to do anything. Yeah, Appreciate not, that. Not a problem. Awesome. So thanks again for coming on, man. It was super fun. I learned a lot. Um, yeah, I think that your David Johnson number one overall RB1 take was a little hot, but hey, I guess we'll have to see what happens at the end of the season. But other than that, everybody, thanks for listening. Make sure you follow Eric at Eric and Moody on Twitter. Catch all his stuff at The Athletic at 444 at Fantasy Data all over the place. You can find this man and make sure you, again, give him a follow. Thanks for listening. Make sure you rate and review this episode if you found it helpful or entertaining. That's it. Catch you next time.